Welcome back to Hunt Gather Talk. I am your host, Hank Shaw. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. Today is going to be a very, very cool show. It's about a product that is part of my childhood, really. It's it's salt cod. So bacala, bacalao, salt fish, dried salted fish in general. That's what we're going to talk about today. Salted fish is part of really world history. It is a way of preserving fish that the entire world uses, no matter where you're from. But we're going to focus primarily today on salt cod. So actually, both Pacific cod and Atlantic cod, but primarily Atlantic cod because my guest today is Lori McCarthy. Lori McCarthy is uh, from Newfoundland, and she has written a fantastic book called Food Culture Place. She used to run the website Cod Sounds, and we're going to talk about what exactly a cod sound is in the show. Uh, but she now has moved everything over to Food Culture Place, and she is to Newfoundland what Julia Child is to France. She's a real, real expert at the cuisine there. She's a native, as you will be able to hear from her accent, and she has been around fish and salt fish and salt cod since she was born. Her family has been in and around the business, and they do it themselves, and I can't think of a better person to talk about this foundational ingredient, which is used all throughout the Mediterranean. It's used all throughout Scandinavia. It's even used in the Caribbean and in Africa. It is a universal ingredient. So let's talk salt cod. Lori McCarthy, I am so happy to have you back on the Hunt Gather Talk podcast. When last we spoke, you were working on a book. We were talking about wild game, geek out, foodie stuff. And <laughs> it's been, I don't know, what's it been like 18 months or something since then? And you've had, you've got lots of news to report. We do. And yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, um, it's been a whirlwind. Um, yeah, it is. It's, you know, it's always fun to dive into those conversations about um, game and hunting and getting all geeked out on food because, you know, it's, if wasn't for people like you and I and having others to talk about it with, we'd feel we're very weird. Um, <laughs> and that's okay because most people will probably agree with us. <laughs> Did you see the ferment on that sausage? Holy crap. Right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Actually, we just finished. Um, I had someone over a couple of weeks ago. And we made one of, one of your, uh, your venison sausage recipe. Of course, we don't have venison on the island. So we used um, moose, but it was spectacular. Technically, moose is venison. It, you're absolutely right. It is a venison. Hey, it's just yeah. not a deer. That's right. It's just not a deer. So we don't have deer here. Um, so yes, I actually, and that's that was kind of new information for me. I actually only learned that like maybe three or four years ago. It's a weird cultural thing. So like originally, apparently, the origin of the term is French, and it, the original version of it in the like the Middle Ages was like venison is not beef. <laughs> like, oh, so okay specific. that's pretty broad <laughs> yeah um yeah but of course you know moose is so enormous here you know when you when you take a moose down it's so much larger than a deer and yeah. there's just so much meat that you know it's like how many ways can you have moose and of course traditionally was very few ways um but now like oh my gosh i mean even like you mentioned about the book and I mean, now it's just been, what are all the things that we can do with moose? Because it is, I feel like I'm discovering it for the first time over and over again every year and, and all the things that can be done with it. So it's pretty exciting. Well, yeah, tell people about the book. Yeah, so 
Um, it came out last What's year. What's the name of it? <laughs> it's called Food Culture Place, and it's by myself, Lori McCarthy, and Marcia Tulk did, um, I mean, maybe more than half the recipes, but all the photography. So I knew when I wanted to do a book that it, I really wanted it to have beautiful photography. Um, and that's where Marcia, Marcia came in. She has a fine arts degree and just an amazing eye. So yeah, the book is really, um, it's a gathering of like just years of being on the road and traveling across Newfoundland and collecting stories um, and, and recipes and, um, and Marcia the same. So she's from the West Coast, Newfoundland. I'm from the East Coast. It takes like 12, 15 hours to drive like tip to tip of, of Newfoundland. So it was huge. Wow. So it's I, like California. Well, I say to people that it's kind of like, like the food here is kind of like Italy and it, in that it's so regional and we, you know, it's so, this is where this is from. <laughs> this is how it is. So the fact that we're both from the island, you know, is uh, it's, we, we may as well be almost from different islands from one side to the other. So it's really, it was, it was, it's just been, um, yeah, it's been an amazing bunch of fun around the book, you know? Um, it's just been really lovely to see local people embrace it and, um, and to bring up stories of their own childhood and their own, you know, growing up. So yeah, it's really touched our hearts. We just, it's like a labor. It was definitely a labor of love, as you know, writing books are. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty book. I have it. I'm looking at it right now. It's, it's sitting oh. next to a couple other books, uh, the same region, like, uh, like, uh, North, uh, from Iceland and Magnus and Magnus's gigantic Nordic book and yes. Rene Rizepi and all these it's because basically the, that whole sort of North, North, North Atlantic region shares a lot of food things. And, and it's really right why we're coming together to talk today, because the two kind of most signature foods that come out of the far north are stockfish and, and salt cod, which is basically kind of two variations on the same thing. And, and if you talk to anybody who knows anything about stockfish or, or salt cod, which is not necessarily a lot of people, but certain communities, everyone's like, oh, it's either from Canada where you're from or it's from Norway, Norway. So. Yeah, I, I think. You said I, you've been, a, you've been in and around salt cod for a long time. Yeah, we have. And I, and I think, you know, just, to, you know, a, a point on all those books, I think it's, it's because we, it's because of the, you know, the Northern <laughs> climates and even here in Newfoundland, I mean, we're in a place where really nothing grows for seven months of the year. So what that, um, you know, fosters is this, is this necessity of preservation. And so what I find fascinating is that, you know, in, in all the cultures that you go in, uh, in, in the Northern culture, um, especially, those preservation techniques are, they are throughout, right? They are the thread that, that binds us for sure. And that how do we actually survive? And what I like to say is that we actually thrive in these, in these, um, in these climates. And I think, and we thrive through the art of preservation. And, you know, unfortunately I feel that there's a, there's a little bit of a loss of that, um, that thriving on, on preservation. I think we did it when we had to, and then we don't have to anymore. So a lot of the, the, the true art of preservation is being, is being lost. But when, like you say, like, although, you know, the Magnuses and, 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 and Gunner at, at Dill and, you know, I feel like it's all, it's always been here, but 
But now we're, I feel like we're almost like a generation who is like truly falling in love with it again and bringing it to like, how do we, how do we bring it to these amazing heights and really like put it on a world-class stage? And so I think that it's the, that journey of discovery um, and learning from, from all the, you know, the cultures that are out there and how did they do it and, and how can we do it and how can we improve it? Um, and for, you know, Marsha and I, it's all about how do we keep it on our plates, like literally, you know, and part of our culture. If you look at what I do, there's a strong thread of, of Scandinavian, Nordic, Northern cooking in there because I'm just, it's like my fascination with the third, the, the fifth quarter, you know, awful and organ meats and that sort of thing mm. where, you know, if you can make something out of nothing, you're a cook. If you, mm. you know, if you can make world-class food in Newfoundland or Iceland or wherever, where, like you said, you've got a, a three month growing season where, I, I mean, I live in Northern California where, yeah, we've got some frost this morning, a little, but it's, go, yeah. it's gone now. And, yeah. and so we deal with like, oh no, it's, it's 29 degrees for an hour and a half. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, but yeah. so I can technically grow things. Like I, there are certain things that I grow and they sit in my ground for months because like parsnips and carrots are just not, not very good until you've had a frost and, and we have to wait for ours where it, but on the other hand, I can grow things for 300 days a year, more or less. And so yeah. Like I said, I like to say any talking chimp can do fresh seasonal and local. And, <laughs> uh, and, and it's like, it's extremely difficult in cold places, which is what makes the cuisine so much more interesting. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, for, for people like you and I, it's like, we get, you know, us geeks out there around this stuff. It's like, it does, it just becomes this fascination. It's a, it's a curiosity. It's like, how many applications can we apply to this? And I fell in love with Koji last year. After yeah, I, me too. <laughs> yeah, after I had um, Rich Shecom, who wrote the Koji book uh, yep. two years ago. And Rich came and spent a week in, in Newfoundland with us. And I mean, oh my gosh, the fun, right? But yes, I've been in love with it ever since. And I just moved and I felt like, okay, this place is not going to be mine until I like salt fish, cure meat and make Koji. <laughs> now it's yeah. like... <laughs> I'm sourdough sour too, you know? <laughs> and sourdough, right. So I actually, and I made a wild starter from the, uh, from, you know, the, the wild stuff here on the property. So yeah, it is, it's that preservation. It's that, um, you know, that curiosity in other cultures and how they did it. And what can we do with all the stuff that's here, you know? Yeah. Um, because the main feature of the, of today's conversations is saltfish is, is so the thing that you eat that has been preserved, no matter what it is, whether it's mm. pickling or fermenting or koji or salting or whatever, whatever, when you go to eat it it's transformed it's not like it's yeah. not salt cod is even when you eat it is not fresh cod so it it oh, changes it's a yeah it's like a completely different ingredient right and yeah. i said to a friend of mine who was here last weekend and i said when my koji was like bubbling on the counter and the whole house smelled like it and then um and i said you know it's it's growing flavor it's not it's not like i go out and pick thyme and it's time it's not you know you 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 buy you know, a, a curry paste or whatever. It's not a, this is the flavor. It's like you're actually growing flavors. Like mm -hmm. when you cure meat, like, you know, you and I are making salami. It's like, it goes from one thing at, at one time and then 48 hours, it's something else. And three months later, it's a whole new flavor. So the growing of flavors, I mean, just, it's just like the thing that sets me on fire. Excuse it is me. cool. It is, right? Um, and so like you say, it's, a, it's the salt cod thing. It's like, you know, I was 
rummaging through some of these old recipe books they have about, um, you know, that come from the small communities here, which are, which are just such a wealth of knowledge, right? Like they, I feel that they really capture a, a community and a food in a, in a time frame. So um, I've just learned so much from them. Like, you know, I have this one here from Labrador I pulled out and, you know, it's, it's, it's truly how many ways can you eat cod and salt cod, right? <laughs> it is. And then I talked to my brother-in-law this, this morning and, um, and we were talking about, you know, how it was the thing that you could apply so many different applications to, and it could become so many different things, right? I mean, you know, there's, there's a salt cod and then there's, you know, there's, there's well salted cod and then there's lightly salted cod and then there's corned cod and then there's, and then there's all the different recipes that come from all that. And that is universal to these northern climates in terms of salt or and fish preservation in, in general. Hunt Gather Talk is brought to you in part by eFish. eFish delivers fresh, in-season, wild, American-caught, dayboat seafood right to your doorstep. This means that in most cases, your order is still swimming when you place it. The fish goes straight from the dock to you overnight. But most importantly, with eFish, you can always be sure that they put harvesters in our oceans first with every purchase. What does that mean? Small boat operators, hook and line caught fin fish, and their products are never treated with chemicals. Truly handled with care from the minute it's hooked until it arrives on your doorstep. And as a 1% for the planet company, they work to ensure that our oceans will continue to thrive for generations to come. I have received e-fish shipments myself, and I can tell you that they always arrive in top-notch condition, ice cold, even from all the way across the country. So if you want access to Harvester Direct in-season seafood that is always fresh and never frozen, check out efish.com. That is e-fish.com. You get $15 off your first order with my code HUNTGATHERTALK. That is HUNTGATHERTALK, all one word. Again, You'll find all of this at e-fish.com. So uh, do you have any idea like why cod as opposed to like haddock or pollock or some other fish? Mm. Is it just because there's so many damn cod at, at the time? It was. It was just that it was such an enormous um, bounty of, of codfish off our shores here, you know, from the time that. So Europeans, you know, started coming to Newfoundland in search of food to feed this growing enormous population in, in Europe. Um, and what they came across, oftentimes when they thought they were in search of in places like India for spice, um, what happened is they landed in Newfoundland. And of course it was it was new uncharted waters, but all they knew was, oh my holy, like all the food, right? And so whether it was the Spanish and the French and the English, um, and so as those, you know, as they hit the, the oceans and, and came across what we called, you know, across the pond. So from England to Newfoundland, um, now, I mean, just to give people context, I mean, it's a four and a half hour flight to the most easterly point in Canada to the first point of land in Europe. Um, Which is not very far because four and a half hours for me in Sacramento will get you to Chicago. Right. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we say here, I mean, you could really fly to Europe for the weekend, right? You could fly over Friday evening, and come back Monday morning. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're quite close, you know, by flight now. But of course, in those days, um, sea voyage by sea became easier. Um, and as they got really good at it, they realized that there was this bounty of, of, of fish and the fish was, was codfish. 
and even you know when people come here and they you know we sort of have to give them the 101 on fish right so it's like if you go to a restaurant and they and you ask for fish or they say oh, we got fresh fish today it means that it's cod first of all so you never have to ask <laughs> really even today with a, with the fish stocks crashing 100 percent. really so, okay the only fish that's served here is codfish. <laughs> really? I mean, you've oh got lots God, of other yes. fish, you know. <laughs> right. No, not here. No. But um, <laughs> but they would say, like, we have salmon on. But if they say, we, oh, my dear, we got the fresh fish in today. So that means that it's codfish. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah. there's a similar thing in, in Colorado. So if you talk to guys in Colorado, like, are you guys hunting this year? And if they say no, that means they didn't get an elk tag. Because oh, so they... They can yeah. respond like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not really hunting this year. Just deer. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. So that's Newfoundland for fish. And it, and when they say it's fresh fish, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's actually fresh. Um, so it could have been frozen. So you and I would consider, like we went to a restaurant and we asked for fresh fish. We would expect it to not have been frozen. However, in Newfoundland, if they say it's fresh fish, it means that it's not salted fish. Mm. Now it could also be frozen or it could also be fresh that, you know, that day or that, that, uh, you know, in the past few days, but yeah, so there, there's salt fish and, and there's fresh fish. Um, but it's all cod. That's it. That is the fish of here. Interesting. Yeah. We had, I had, uh, I invited Daniel Vitalis to come up. Um, gosh, the, the whole COVID drop in the whole idea, you know, time frame. somewhere between space and time, right? <laughs> somewhere. Be- absolutely. So I think, anyway, so I think it was a couple of years ago before, and he could just not believe that um, we could just go out in a boat and catch and hand over fist, what we call hand over fist, just, you know, fish after fish after fish. So because he said to him in Maine, it's like, it's just like endangered species. Like you can't even fish it down there, right? Although it, it fluctuates. So my mom is from Gloucester. Okay. And so we know cod. And my mom used to handline codfish in the 40s, you know, which is probably why her her 86-year-old fingers are all wrecked. The thing about it is I fished the Gulf of Maine three years ago. Mm-hmm. And at the time, we couldn't keep any cod. Like, you couldn't mm, keep them. Oh, really? We were haddock fishing. Okay. And, and for those of you out there listening, cod, haddock, pollock, hake, cusk, they're all called, they're all known as ground fish, and they're all cousins of each other. And they effectively tastes well. You'll you you'll probably will disagree, but I think they taste more or less the same. <laughs> um, there's some texture differences we could get into, but anyway, um, we were fishing for haddock, which are small. You know, haddock are you know like a three pound haddock's a nice haddock. We could not keep these freaking codfish off the damn line, and the codfish were like up to fifteen pounds. So you you'd hook a fish, and it would be a big heavy one, and be like, God. Damn it. Because <laughs> you bring this big old Google-eyed cod and you'd have to throw them back because the, the fishery was closed. So oh, wait crossing my fingers that slowly, maybe, hopefully they'll come back in, in New England waters because they're pretty rare in, in United States waters. I mean, they have a cousin in the Pacific who's yeah. just who's like a gray version of the brown cod that you get in the Atlantic. And they're fine. But mm-hmm. to real purists, like probably yourself, Pacific cod are like, nah, they're not the yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's not cod. I don't, I don't know what that is. That's a different fish. <laughs> same genus. You and all your signs. 
<laughs> we're going on taste here. We're going on like cultural, like, you know, dug our, our feet in deep on this. I know. I can I can tell you having eaten both Atlantic and Pacific halibut and both Atlantic and Pacific codfish fresh, like right off the boat. They're yeah. the same. They're the same. <laughs> they really are. They just are. Um, are they? Cool. Yeah, I've because never actually had, I've never had Pacific codfish. The, so they, they do the same thing. So you know that with fresh cod, so if you get if you go to a restaurant and they say they have fresh fish, how do you know that it's actually fresh when it hits when it comes to your table? Fresh is it not frozen? Correct. Oh my gosh, it just falls apart. Like you can't yes. you can't hold it together. See, you know. <laughs> right? No amount of flour is gonna hold that fish together. Yep. Yep. And <laughs> and so that the Pacific Cod does the exact same thing. I'm very oh. glad that you that was exactly the answer I was looking for. Thank you. Totally, <laughs> kind of totally stressed me out on that one. <laughs> um yeah, I guess I mean I don't I don't know, but I don't know if it's the I mean that beautiful gelatinous, you know, fat that comes from that fish. I mean, you know, when you cook it properly, like you you just barely cook it until the until you know you get that white fat bubble into the top and then it's like off the pan, get it out of there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um but here traditionally it sits in the pan a whole lot longer where you and I would take it out. 10 minutes before <laughs> oh <laughs> right but it's it's uh yeah but it's it, fresh you know it's fresh i mean actually out of the water like that day and that's one of the things that people don't necessarily i mean unless you're from like from Codland, you don't necessarily know that that's a kind of a secret knowledge of new england <laughs> canada and alaska where it's here it is it's on your plate it's kind of falling apart a little bit like uh sablefish does okay. and but once you freeze it, it tightens up and then it, it absolutely becomes an entirely different thing once you salt it. Hey, everybody, if you are interested in buying my cookbooks, I have three of them on my website, Hunter Angler Gardener Cook. That is at huntgathercook.com. You will get a 15% discount off the purchase of not only those cookbooks, but also any kind of other gear, swag, or apparel that we sell on the Hunter Angler Gardener Cook shop. You use the code HUNTGATHERTALK. That's HUNTGATHERTALK in all one word. And you will get 15% off your order of any of my cookbooks or of hoodies or shirts or stickers and that sort of thing. On the huntgathercook.com shop, you will see my cookbooks and you will see apparel and stickers and all that sort of thing. Use the code huntgathertalk and you will get 15% off. Thanks in advance for your support. Now, now you had mentioned before, and my, my little antennae pricked up, um, because I don't know the differences between lightly salted cod, well-salted cod, and corn cod. So corn cod, my dad you know, it depends on where you go, but of course there's all this variation on process. So the, the, the traditional dried cod that we became so, so famous for, and, you know, shipped across the seas and, and fed thousands of people the world around, um, you know, from Italy to, to Spain, to the Caribbean. So that triangle shaped codfish with the skin on that's like air and sun dried, right? So that is a heavy salt, um, it sits in a heavy salt, depends on who you talk to, could be from three to seven days. And it's a, it's a coarse, like rock salt, right? Mm, and okay. Yeah. So they'll take like a bucket that's like three feet by three feet by, well, it's, yeah, it's actually like a cube bucket size. Um, 
and the you know there could be a hundred fish in there and it sits in there for however many days they decide is just perfect for them and then it comes out and they're dried on flakes and so today they're dried on flakes and you know a hundred years ago they were too and the flakes are usually constructed just of like wooden um you know just spruce wood wood because just tons of wood here right mm -hmm. so the, they were just very um very simple basic lattice like structures that were either laid right on the rocks uh, of course our our beaches are all boulder so like they're all like fistful size of, of <laughs> i know go to the beach in new england and oh that's not quite a beach is it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we do have some sandy beaches here and they're spectacular of course but yes, most of our rocks are so are boulders. So when you lay the, these wooden structures on them, of course, the air can circulate. So it will sit as a, as a heavy salt and then it gets sun dried. And so that meant like, I love the story when I started talking to my nan about collecting, um, when I started collecting stories, you know, 10 years ago, my nan said to me that, um, that, you know, it was her job at nine years old to make the bread for the whole family because her mother and grandmother were gone making fish. So most of this work was the women's work. Like after the fishing was done and the fish came in, it was mo it was a lot of the women's work to be salting the fish and turning it every day. So they would go out in the evenings, they would pull the fish in often. Um, and it would be sort of haystacked almost together. to keep, And so the stuff on the top would get wet if it rained, but then the stuff underneath would be dry. And it was this big triangle shape, right? So mm -hmm. the they're uh, kited. Yeah, exactly. Do you guys yeah. call it kiting too? Never heard the word, but I'm sure, you know, many older than me would know it. So, so there's a, so for just a side note, so to, yeah, yeah. you can butterfly a fish by going through the, the belly, removing the backbone on the ribs and then keeping the, like keeping his dorsal area intact. Okay. You can, you kite a fish the opposite way. So the, you kite a fish by filleting him out off the, the backbone and ribs and keeping the belly intact. So that the and so that the belly is the connector between the two fillets, not the, not the top. And that's okay. traditionally, at least in New England, that's what that's how you do codfish. So ours is the op ours is the cut through the belly and keep the back intact. Ah, okay. So it's so they're butterfly. Yeah, so they're butterfly, and then the sound bone is taken out. So like right from the neck, right down to where the ribs end. That's called the sound bone, and that's taken mm -hmm. out. And then the the rest of the vertebrae, right down to the tail, is left intact. Okay. So, yeah. so one, so one half has the vertebrae on it. It does. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. And of course I'm holding one here. Um, as, so I, I pulled it. Cause out. you're from Newfoundland. You have to hold one at all times. It's like, all it's like, listen, <laughs> it sits right next to me all the time. Everywhere I go. It's like next to your pillow. It's, yeah. I took it in last night. My son says, mom, what is Newfie, this porch stink? <laughs> Newfie cologne. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> So this is like a really hard dried fish. This is, is it's dried, you know. I mean, it's a um, weapon. It's a weapon. <laughs> exactly. You know, but you know what? It's like, these are, this is almost like a lost art now. Like you have a job to find these fish don't like this anymore. Because um, it's usually like blocks that are salted, right? Yes. Like lots of times now. And it's, that's not a heavy salt. Like the, the, the dried salted cod was that what that we shipped overseas and we shipped you know, around the world. But today, like very few people dry to that extent. And with that, you know, with that uh, determination of, of, you know, the, the old school way as such, right? But yeah, lots of times it's just corned. And corned means that it's just put into 
like a salt slurry almost, or it's just heavily salted. And then it's, um, it's just left for a few hours and it's, and it's washed off and then it's froze. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. So then when you go to have it, so the, the heavy salt fish, when you go to have, when you go to eat this, this has to be soaked the night before. Or and really so- two days before. Well, yes, for, for some pellets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I guess I'm a weak one. <laughs> Around here, it's like soak it the night before. You get up in the morning and you bring it to a boil. And sometimes you change the water again, depending on how salty it is. It depends on what your, you know, the, 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 uh, the advice you get from your doctor these days. <laughs> 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 so uh, it's brought to a boil and then just turned off immediately. And that's often how it's ha- how it's eaten. Um, but the cornfish, you can you can almost just soak it in water for like thirty minutes and then pan fry it again. And like you say earlier, it's got that tightness to it, right? So it 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 holds well in the pan um, when you fry it. So you can actually fry cornfish, whereas ah. the really dry stuff that has different applications. Right. So I grew up in New Jersey. My mom is from Gloucester, but I grew up in New Jersey, and so. When you grow up where I grow up, there's a tons of Portuguese and Italians. So it's always bacala. Mm, yes. And so bacala is virtually always, not always, but virtually always blocks of fish that are essentially a brick. And they come often in wooden boxes. And they are okay. um and and then you need two days to to thought to you know re-soak them out and you change the water every day because I, I've got one in my fridge now from um a friend of mine, uh gave me from Portugal and it's, I mean, it, it lasts forever in your fridge, like literally it forever. And, it, and if your fridge breaks, it's still fine. It's still fine. <laughs> Today, usually like I will get, uh, there's a, there's a fella that, um, that makes, I usually get 10 or 12 from him. And like every year he makes, it's such a tradition here. So like Easter, Easter, it's good Friday saltfish, And then Christmas Eve is saltfish. So some people won't eat saltfish all year round. But they'll have it for those, you know, two days. Um, yeah, the Italians, the Portuguese, very much are like that. Like bacala oh, is a really? is a Christmas is a Christmas tradition. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Ah, um, I guess, and I guess that's where we get it from. Then you know, again, like the what I will do is I will take the big triangle piece after I'll give everyone one for Christmas. People who I really only those who I really like now, Hank, um, <laughs> they'll get a full fish. And then, uh, and then I will do that. I will chop it up and vacuum seal it. But then you can leave it anywhere, like out in the shed or yeah, anywhere. yeah, yeah. So, so I will give you. That. So I actually kind of want to go into some production things to make the to make this conversation useful for our listeners. Because yeah. Uh, but I will tell you what I have historically done. So I too, like you, grew up with saltfish in my life. Not not quite mm-hmm. to the extent that you did, but I very quickly realized that well, hell, there isn't any reason why you can't salt any other fish. Um, there is one reason and, and we'll get to that, but so I started salting down black sea bass, porgies, striped bass, especially because I, I started doing this in the East coast. So you'd get a decent sized striper, you know, I, when I lived in the Chesapeake area, the size limit was 18 inches. So you can use a fairly normal sized fish because outside the Chesapeake, the size limit on a striper is huge. It's, you know, 28 to 36 inches, depending on where you are. And that's a giant fish. So you can make blocks, but you can't do the triangles. Mm. Um, and you, and I would bury that sucker. I would kite it and I would mm-hmm. bury it in salt for like in the fridge, mm. unless it was winter time, sure. um, 
for like, I don't know, three days, four days a week. I sometimes would forget about it. And, and then you dust it off in it. Cause it's usually kind of slushy. And mm-hmm. then I would poke a hole in the tail section and get kitchen twine and then hang it in my beer fridge. And, and I would let it sit there until I forgot about it. And then at some point, you know, usually in spring, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would be like this, you know, like a, it's like a weapon It's completely, totally desiccated and hard and dry. Yeah. And it will last. I mean, you want to, you kind of want to vacuum seal it because otherwise it's going to stink up your fridge. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but vacuum sealed, I did an experiment once with, and I did, did this here in California. So I caught a striper here, did that, let it get super, super hard, split it. So that was two different fillets, vacuum sealed the, the dry hard fillet. So it didn't stink up my, my kitchen, kept it in the bottom, you know, like the meat drawer that everybody's got that you put random things in your fridge. <laughs> and and I left it there for four years. Oh my god! And then I took it out of the vacuum pack. Um, it was unchanged, <laughs> and and then I made uh, uh, salt cod fritters, which is my favorite thing to do with with salt cod is to is to rehydrate it, flake it out, and make um, little fritters with it and serve it with a Spanish aioli. But it was oh. fine. Four years later. See, this is the beauty, right? Of 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 and and again, and the versatility of it, right? Um, you know, a, a dried cod like that, again, I mean, there, it has so many applications and then the cornfish has different applications. And of course, then there's, then there's fresh, but yeah, like to vacuum pack it and be able to, to keep something that long, a protein that long. I mean, that's, you know, that's what happened out of necessity, but now you and I are, 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 you know, just playing with it because it's delicious and fun. Yeah. I mean, and the only reason for, for you listening out there, the only reason to vacuum seal it is so it doesn't stink up your kitchen. Now, if you live in a cold place like Newfoundland, um, it never gets really hot there. Like not really hot. And not for very long periods of time. Like if, if it's hot here, it's like 26 degrees for, you know, two weeks. We're like, sure. Oh, but even your, but even then there's gotta be like a corner of your basement or your barn or Probably. shed or something that's still relatively cool. Yeah. So you know, you can leave it, you can leave this dried fish there. I mean, you can do this with, you can, you can salt down fish. You, you tell me what you think of this. My advice to people who live in other parts of the country who don't have access to codfish is pick a reasonably large, you know, two feet long with a head uh, fish that is a white fish that is not fatty. Mm, yeah. And, and if it's not fatty, you can do this salt fish preparation, you know, so, and it's really, it's not science. Like you'll see recipes for it. And it's like, really? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like you're, you're salting the hell out of a fish and then drying it so that it is, it's invulnerable. And then you rehydrate it to, you know, to your, to your preferences. And the reason why people use specific amounts of salt and time and everything is so that they know how long to re- to rehydrate it so that they don't, either over rehydrated or under right i mean here like i love that idea now the, here the the only other white fish that we would have would be halibut you've got haddock up there don't you no i mean no i know ne- i've never i've never known anyone to catch a haddock i've never seen a haddock i don't i mean you can wow. buy stores, but it's not here as a fish like that that i have ever seen that's now, fascinating because i would have thought they would live side by side well, maybe they do, um, but I have never seen it. So huh. that's not to say that there's not enough, like an offshore fishery for it. I actually wouldn't know. But I mean, there's so many fish that 
um, get harvested off our shores that we can we never have access to. And people, you know, some people will complain about it. Well, there's all this fish that, you know, gets landed here or is flash frozen at sea and we never see it. Yeah, but even we nobody will buy it. Nobody wants it. There's not enough people here to bring it ashore to sell it, you know, from, you know, there's red fish and there's anyway, there's, you know, there's so many fish that come ashore. Side here. note, the redfish that that Acadian redfish that you're talking about, yes. it is the only Atlantic species of, of rockfish. Uh, I did an entire podcast episode a year ago uh, with a, a Pacific rockfish expert. And there's like 72 species of rockfish in the world. And only one lives in the Atlantic and it's your redfish. Oh, wow. We You can't buy it here. I've never seen it here for sale. You can't buy it from the fisherman. You can't buy it. It's an offshore fishery and we never see it. Yeah, they're deep water. They live in the bottom. They I don't know how do they get them, maybe with fish pots, but uh mm. and they all just get shipped overseas, right? As as so much of our fish does. Well, I guess we're do we count as overseas? Because you can get it in New England. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it goes it goes everywhere. Lots of I mean, a lot of our our market is is the is China mm. um for for fish. But yeah, I mean, I would love to play with different white fish. Um to try to uh, to see what would happen. I mean, I, we have lots of mackerel here. We have lots of herring here. Usually that stuff is pickled, right? Mm. Um, but not to dry it like that. I mean, I think that's, I think that's a great, uh, yeah. To, so that gets us, mackerel. that gets us into the, the, the caveat here because both mackerel and herring are fat. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I did there. So the Norwegians and the Swedes on occasion will, you know, essentially do salt, you know, quote unquote, salt cod, but with, with trout and salmon and it works and it works pretty well, but they don't keep as long because mm -hmm. the, the, the fat in those fatty fish and that I'm sure this would include, um, would include herring and, uh, and mackerel as well. It can get pretty effing fishy after mm -hmm. about three months and, and ask me how I know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But I did it with a bunch of really fat kokanee and uh, kokanee is a, a landlocked uh, sockeye salmon. Mm -hmm. And I did it with a bunch of kokanee and with a bunch of trout. And they were really, really good for like two months later. Just salt, salt hard as a rock, rehydrated and turned into things. Oh, wow. But I let them go until about nine months. And at the nine months mark, I just had to, I had to pitch it because it was just stinky. Gone too far. Yeah. I get, that's all the omegas in it, right? Like here... Um, up north in Labrador, the Arctic char is such a beautiful fish, uh, but they don't salt it from, you know, I've never heard of it salted, so I shouldn't say they don't, but we don't get the uh, the Arctic char down here on the island, unless it comes from Labrador, but they, um, that's a, it's, I think it, they pronounce it pipsic, and it's, uh, it's sliced really thin, left on the skin, folded over, you know, whatever it may be to air dry it, but it's not salted, but those mm. slices they're only like three quarters of an inch thick and then it's air dried. And I wonder, I wonder about that, you know, when it comes to the salt and air drying and fat. I haven't ah, that's had enough, interesting. Yeah. I haven't had enough uh, opportunity to play around with it, you know? Well, I can um, tell you that the exact same cut for yeah. salmon in Alaska is, is how they do, uh, they could just call them strips and they, those are, oh. those are cold smoked. Okay. Oh, do you do a lot of smoking of fish up in, up in your part of the world? No, I mean, in Labrador, they do. Yes. And they'll actually, you know, we briefly spoke about the crowberry. They actually use that, uh, that crowberry bush to, to smoke 
um, up in Labrador often. Uh, but it's it's that's the biggest tree in Labrador. <laughs> I would say it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, For those of you who, who don't know out there, Labrador is way the hell up there. There are white bears up there. Yes, there are. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is truly untouched, spectacular landscape. I mean, like like no other. I mean, it's 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 beautiful. We I mean sometimes we get we'll get polar bears here, but there that's a you know that's that's they're common in up in Labrador. But here on the island, of course, being an island that you know that changes a lot of things. But the um, smoking is not a big tradition here. I have to say, like they will smoke um, salmon and smoke cod now a little bit, but it's not like a tradition at all. At all, people who are smoking that fish now is kind of like a new thing for us. Hmm. You know? Yeah. When you yeah. consider that smoked salmon and smoked uh, cod and smoked haddock are huge in Scotland in the Faroes. Yeah, uh, huge in the yeah. I um, I don't. When I was in the, when Scotland, I was I was too young to be to be serious about anything. But um, when, I went, <laughs> when I went to the Faroes uh, just this year, you're doing like a train spotting tour of Scotland, or yeah, probably pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, su- I support. I support that. Thank you. Thank you. The Faroes are fascinating. Hey, oh my gosh! Like, I just fell in love with that place. Um, we had such amazing like human moments with food and food processes up there. And it's often like it is here. Like you can't experience these foods unless you get into people's homes, right? So, you know, people come here expecting that there's all this seafood here and all this variety of seafood and, and there's really not. You know, the what people come here and they, they want to try often is like the cod, the tongues, the cheeks and what they, the britchens they call it, right? So, you know, the, the salted codfish was, was, was the cash crop. And that's what we, we shipped abroad. But all those other little pieces were what we, you know, what are delicacies now and, and so treasured. And we're still back then, really. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. The reason I know that you exist is from your, I don't know if you still are doing it, but your, your website used to be, and I don't know if it still is, called Cod Sounds. Mm, yeah, so it, it's not anymore, but yes, it was Cod Sounds. And it, I mean, the sound bones were, um, was that what I spoke about earlier was that vertebrae piece that went right from the neck down to the end of the ribs. Um, so and, tell people what a sound is. Yeah. So a sound is like, um, think of it like an ear bladder inside the fish. And it's the thing that controls the buoyancy of a fish. So they'll fill it with air to come to the top. If the, if the bait fish is on the top or they deflate it, uh, and they will, they'll use it to go down and feed on the bottom. So it depends on, on where their fish is and what they're eating at the moment. But the so sound, how do you cook it? Yeah. So the sounds were often salted actually. And, and some of the sounds, you know, on a big, you know, 20 pound fish were as big as your hand, but sometimes the little sound was, um, you know, only as big as your little finger. And so they were salted and they were rehydrated and then pan fried and everything in Newfoundland was in a little bit of flour and then pan fried in a lot of, in a lot of butter or more so in uh, pork lard. Everything was in pork lard. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever turned them into uh, chicharrones? Yes. Into- yeah. Do they puff up like that? Yes. Yeah. It's so again, good. So good. But nobody would that. So that would have never been done here. Like that only came here when we had really great chefs. <laughs> really, really fancy chefs came into that. And uh, but yeah, I don't know. It's so interesting how all this it comes around and how we can take these preservation methods and continue to apply them 
to the food that we have today. And not out of necessity anymore, but out of just pure pleasure of, you know, the discovery of what we can do with food. Quick shout out to one of our sponsors, and that is Filson. Anybody who knows me knows that I wear Filson because Filson doesn't break. It isn't cheap, but neither should it be because it lasts forever. And one of the greatest things that I have of theirs is their Mackinac jacket. If you're not familiar with this jacket, it is a kind of like a a heavy boiled wool overcoat that you can wear anywhere from kind of cold to really cold. And for over 120 years, Filson has been the most trusted outfitter for this kind of outdoor sport, trade and adventure wear. And for almost as long, they've been making that Mackinac cruiser jacket. Originally patented way back in 1914, this jacket has become a legend in its own right, spanning generations as the hallmark of an outdoor coat. Made in the United States, its heavyweight, all-wool body, has classic snap flap pockets and a full-width rear pocket that I use as a game vest when I go grouse hunting. This jacket has often been imitated and never been matched. They last forever. I've had mine for at least a decade, and I know some that have lasted for many decades. Shop at filson.com for the new limited edition green and black plaid Mackinac jacket. I have the forest green, but the green and black plaid sounds every bit as cool. Thanks to Filson for helping to sponsor this show. Back to it. If somebody shows up in, in Newfoundland and says, okay, I want to eat, what, what are the top five, top three, or whatever, whatever, like, you got to try this. You got to try this. You got to try this. Well, that actually will come back to there's fish and chips, right? So it's, it's the deep fried fish with salt fish. No, not with salt fish. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So for salt fish. So, um, see, it, it would be the, the fish cake. That would be the thing, the fish cake and fish and brews. So the fish cake is done with, like you would say, like, so you rehydrate the, the dried fish. And then there's 50, it's 50% fish and 50% potato Ah, okay. Um, and onions and savory, like a summer savory is put into it. And that is the fish cake. And everywhere you go around Newfoundland, like breakfasts always have the fish cakes in town. That's like a classic breakfast. And we still eat it all the time. Um, What do you serve it with? Like mustard or? Mustard pickles, usually like cabbage pickles or cauliflower pickles or green tomato pickles. Always like the because it's too damn cold to grow actual tomatoes in Newfoundland. Yeah, no, we grow them, we grow them, but they never become ripe. So everything, <laughs> tomato, everything, <laughs> because the season's not long enough. So if you want actually like tomatoes to turn red, you have to get like the little tiny cherry tomatoes. They will turn red. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, but it's always green tomato, everything, um, and mustard pickle. Yeah, so that's traditionally how fish cakes are done. And sometimes just served as fish cake and mustard pickles. Mm. And then um, fish and brews. So brews is is, um, is a hardtack. And so hardtack is a a dried bread. Like um, So it's a dehydrated um, bread. It's twice baked, usually. It's like, see, I grew up with hardtack because my mom, okay. my mom is A, New England, which is culturally very similar to Newfoundland, and B, mm-hmm. Um, her ancestry, she's adopted, but her adopted, um, family was all Swedish. And so hardtack okay. is a huge, huge Scandinavian thing. Okay, it's basically so the hardtack for people. You do that because you could probably do it better than me. So imagine, imagine in the Lord of the Rings, the lamb huts bread, except it doesn't taste <laughs> like anything. It's, it's very nutritious. It's good for you. It never dies. Like I, I have Wasa is kind of the normal brand that you buy in the United States and it comes in 
like a little packet. And if you leave it out for a little while, oh, guess what? Nothing happens. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's it's one of these things that I like to, if I'm going to make a, a, a Northern style pickle or Northern style uh, charcuterie, I'll put that on the, on the board instead of bread or something else, because it's, it just, it's of a place. It's an indestructible twice baked, often with an alternate flour. So it's typically wheat and barley or wheat and rye or just hundred percent rye or oh really you know, so we all of these. Okay. So, so in Scandinavia, it's almost always either 100% rye or, or rye and or barley plus wheat to, because wheat's expensive there. Okay. So the what we get here is hardtack is is inedible unless you soak it. Oh, okay. So these are so, these are kind of crispy, um, twice baked things that that you can just sit there and eat. Mm, okay. So this this is is not this is like a hard as a rock, as if it was a rock, and you hit it on the table. Like we would give it to children. We give it to children so it's sort of non as they teeth. They can tough up there. <laughs> um. But yeah, so it has to be, it's rehydrated. It's the only thing that you do with it. You rehydrate it and it, it swells up to twice its size and then you bring it to a boil and then you either go savory or you go sweet. So growing up, mom would make brews for us for breakfast and I still make it for the kids. And then it's smothered in sugar and butter. And then mm. there's this, it's this, you know, stodgy stomach full of food that, that you get. Well, you know, it's a million below zero there, so it makes sense. <laughs> I don't, it is not. It's so tempered here. What are you talking about? Um, All right. So what is it right now? And we're, we're recording in early December. Okay. So it's it's like four degrees today, which is like balmy for us. I'm like, this is gorgeous. It's four yeah. So four is like, you know, it's a refrigerator, but it's, yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not crazy. No, so on the East Coast is a little bit different. So where I am on the, the very Eastern um, side of the island, I mean, yeah, we might get, like, it gets down, the average is like, m you know, minus one to plus five all winter. That's, That's actually average. not bad, actually, because, you know, for the, for the, the centigrade impaired out there, minus one is just a little bit below freezing. You know, freezing is zero. Exactly, yep. Yeah. So we, we'll go through spurts. Like we might have a cold snap where we're a week where it's like down to minus 10 and minus 12 or something. But yeah, I mean, our, our but we're, we get a lot of wet. Like we get the very damp because we're just, we're on the ocean. Right. Mm, so everything is damp and wet for like, you know, seven months, but you know, be a beautiful seven months. Right? So everybody, everybody <laughs> kind of smells like wet wool. Yes. <laughs> and saltfish. <laughs> and saltfish. <laughs> You're really selling um, it. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you wouldn't pay me enough to leave this place. Um, <laughs> the the falls are spectacular and, and dry and beautiful. And that's curing season and that's saltfish season. And so, um, yeah, I don't even know where we, where we began this conversation, how we got off track. But we, oh, we're talking about the hard tack. Yes, or yeah, and bros. So, so you go savory um, and to go savory, it is fried pork fat, what we call. Um, what Recklins. We call yeah. Well, well, we call it just, just like salt pork or fat back. And oh, because is, it's cured pork. It is. So it's um, again, packed in salt. Yep. yep. Um, and it's the pork, you know, the, the, the fat up on the back. It's usually two inches or so thick or an inch. I grew up with salt pork because my New England mom requires salt pork which is extremely rare in the united states like like actual salt pork like what you're talking about mm -hmm. really only exists in new england really 
Yeah, um, everybody else uses bacon because it's better. So <laughs> <laughs> not here, it's not better. <laughs> no, I know. I used bacon in a in a New England uh, clam chowder once, and I got I got shit for it. Like everyone's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> oh my gosh, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it's all this. It's this. It's this salted pork, and that was that was the fat that was used for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so because well pig was hard to keep here and there wasn't a lot of it but because we have very little soil here as well right so agriculture was never a big thing either but so growing you know keeping animals was always hard so that was our fat for everything was 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 pork fat let me see yeah so you fry up the pork fat and then you fry up onions and then you like shred your you shred your salt fish after it's been um boiled and that goes into the pan and then it gets poured over the, the bruise, the rehydrated and boiled hardtack. And that is, and that's scrunching, what we call scrunchings. And once the pork scrunchings, what a great name. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else uses it, but scrunchings are a big thing. So when you come here they'll, and they'll ask you if you want, you know, pan fried fish and you say yes. And they'll say which scrunchings are without. And of course, it's never really an option. If you're from here, they don't even ask you. They just put them on. <laughs> but if you're, <laughs> if you're traveling and they catch that your accent's not from here, um, then yeah, you're getting, you're, you're being asked whether you want them or not. Which is um, easy but, because the Newfoundland accent is pretty distinctive. It is. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, those would be the two, like fish cakes. If you want to look for salt fish here and mm-hmm. fish and brews, those are the big two Um you know, different traditional dishes that you will find all over the island. Yeah, I think uh, I think that the presence of rehydrated salted fish, no matter what the species of fish was, uh, in a croquette or a fritter or a, a cake is probably the most common preparation all over the world. Oh, except for here. We don't really do like the croquette thing. Yeah, but you and do I, cakes. We do. We do a cake, but it, and it's uh, not breaded. It's just the potato that just gets floured on both sides and then it's right. Yeah. Right. That's I mean, that's, I, I make a, I make a fish cake like that too. Like your two main fish cakes are either with, with mashed potatoes or with a uh, bread and egg. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and crab cakes, like it, yeah, mostly, I think most crab cakes are often breaded too. Hey, at least in the Chesapeake area, I've seen yeah. crab cakes done with potatoes too, but usually up your way. Yeah. Like Jonah exactly. with Jonah crabs. Um, well, do our snow crab is that's our, Oh, you're far enough up for snow crab, eh? Yeah. That's the one that we have. We have snow crab. That's our, that's our crab. Nice. You're lucky. Mm-hmm. They're good crabs. I like to think we're very lucky for so many reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you're going to miss our, you're going to miss our Sacramento summers where it can hit 115 Fahrenheit. Oh my goodness. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm good. I'm good at that. <laughs> <laughs> there's no no wool here like actually it's funny we all bust out our puffy jackets and wool when it when it gets to be like 45 oh my gosh which i think is like uh 45 i think is like nine or ten oh centigrade <laughs> they make us tougher than you crab <laughs> well but we're tougher we're tougher on the other side like you guys would all die wow. in our summers we would die the crowd here so we'll get <laughs> we'll get like two weeks in the summer where it's like 26 and 27 that's and, like March here. Oh my God. People are just, they're nothing but, a, we, we just become this bag of complaints about the heat. <laughs> my mom was, mom and dad will be right poisoned and it's so hot. They can't do anything. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. We don't generally whine until it gets to be, let me, let me see if I can translate it. Celsius to Fahrenheit. We don't whine until it's about 
40 degrees Celsius. Oh my God. When it's 40 or 41 degrees, we're like, ah, it's hot. Yeah. Okay, but then so. the next answer, the exact next thing, like, ah, it's hot. The exact next thing someone's going to say, well, you live in Sacramento, you bum. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's like people here complain about the fog or something. I'm like, well, there are lots of places to go without fog, but it's not as good as here. <laughs> like, it's just fog. Like, just get over it. <laughs> yeah. You can have zero degrees and fog and wet and lots of wet wool and, and salt fish, or you can live on the interior where it's 40 below and drier. You could. Yep. And what, absolutely. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, we're not made for that heat over there. We're, we're no good for it at all here. We're just not. It's funny how the human body can, can, you know, acclimate to those. And things. it does. Cause I used to live in Minnesota where we have really cold winters and I was fine. Like I would, I would have, I would hunt in zero degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which is, I don't know, it's like 15 below centigrade and I have wow. no problem with it. Yeah. And the, the, our cold here is a very damp cold. It's like not like, it's not a dry cold like the interior of Canada. Yeah. The, you know, temperatures we're talking about inside, you know, minus 20. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So that is different kind of cold. That's a dry cold. Our cold is, 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 um, is damp. The coldest I have ever been was up your way. I was offshore in, in January and it was, it was only like eight below zero temperature, but it was offshore in, in a, in a, uh, an ice fog and I've never oh. been colder than that it's a very it's an interesting cold hey once you've experienced it you're like this is this is a special kind of cold <laughs> and you know that, that damp of course lends itself to difficulty in in preservation like for fish and for I mean I can't imagine living in that time and trying to dry salt fish in the fall of the year sometimes um, so so what happens to it? Like, so it, you said the curing season is in the dry part of the fall and then, but it should be pretty much mostly dry by then. No, it is often. Yeah. Like, you know, it depends on where it's wet and damp in June. And then we get July, August, September, which is relatively dry. And then lots of times they'll wait till like the fishery in September and October to do the, um, to do the salt fish. And lots of people do it all year round, like all, all season. Uh, because it, then it's out in the sun and a bit, there's a better chance of it, it drying well. But sometimes it seems so. What usually happens is you spend the summer, you know, filling because you talk about having your fish sort of the smell go through the freezer. In Newfoundland, we have separate freezers for fish because there has to be so much fish. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little freezer, and that's where all the salt fish and the fresh fish goes. Um, so the summer months are spent filling the freezer for fresh fish. And then lots of times the the fishing that happens in the fall of the year, well, that's the stuff that you're you're air drying. Ah. Yeah. So lots of people today, I mean, today when they when they salt fish, it's often just the um just the fillets even, right? The okay. Skin on. So let, let's talk about the the triangles and everything in the whole fish because there is a very famous dish in Spain called uh, called uh, cod peel peel, and it's oh. uh, it's a Basque dish. It requires either the collars of the uh, of the codfish mm -hmm. or skin on salt cod. It's always done with salt cod. Now and that's, about the, that's about the collagen, is it? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I've and so like that. you don't necessarily eat the skin because it can get kind of yum yum, kind of weird. Yeah. But but they shake the pan and it's like mm -hmm. olive oil, garlic, and like occasionally shallot. And they shake the pan with a codfish in it and shake shake shake. And I'll put a. a, a I have a recipe for it in the show notes along with the video. And then, and then all of a sudden it's emulsifies into a, what looks like a, almost like an aioli. 
and it's yeah. this really cool dish. Does it, do they do anything like that in, in uh, Newfoundland? Well, no, we don't. <laughs> so <laughs> Alas. I have, I have only, yeah, I've only seen that done once on, on like TV and I have made it. Here they, they do a, one of the very popular sauce-like things that happens for, it's, it's like they were trying to mimic that idea though, because it's called a drawn butter. Do you know what a drawn butter is? I mean, it's clarified butter in New England. Okay, so here what we call drawn butter is a, it's butter and onions that becomes translucent. Then say, so you would have like a cup of butter and a, you know, and a cup of onions and that gets cooked down until your onions are just translucent. And then you would add a cup of water, but then it's thickened with flour. So it becomes this translucent and salted. Um, and then it becomes this translucent kind of sauce. And that's often served over salt fish, but it's almost like it was trying to mimic that, that sauce that naturally happens in, uh, uh, when you make that peri peri, uh, not the peri peri, um, peel peel. Yeah. Yeah. When you make that dish. And I don't well, know what that sauce, about. that drawn butter sauce you're talking about. So it just sounds like a beurre blanc. No. Yeah. It absolutely is like a beurre blanc. Yeah. Yeah. But the, um, that dish that you make that that's a gorgeous thing when you see that come together, Hey, with the colors and the skin. It really is. And then um, I often will uh, hit a little pimenton on it when I serve mm -hmm. it. So it looks pretty because otherwise it's pretty monochromatic. Right. <laughs> monochromatic yeah. is one of the downfalls of Newfoundland cuisine, though. There's no, there's quite a lot of brown in beige. It is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, except when you start foraging and then, and then you can just, you know, you pick everything and, and green becomes a it's like, oh, my gosh, it changes everything. But right? yeah, it's very much. Yeah, it's a it's a. It's a monotone kind of palette <laughs> of food. What are some of the coolest, weirdest, unique things that you've done with saltfish? Because, I mean, I'm sure you've you've played around with it. I think I love the, I mean, I love changing the ideas around how we eat it here. I think because it was so traditionally over, you know, to me, it was only ever served either in a cote gratin or, and that's sort of what you did with last year's frozen fish. And it was really, it was just pan fried. And, and even at home, we, we like it was never deep fried. I really love trying some of those, you know, those the Portuguese recipes and Italian recipes where you're, you're playing around with like tomato sauces and you're doing, you know, you're trying capers and you're doing crispy onions. And I mean, I really love that. I love, you can look at a fresh fish or salted fish as a complete, you know, as a, as an ingredient, like a chicken breast, like it can become anything, which is the beauty of it, you know? I love, I love whipping it and creating like salt fish dips with it. Oh, like a brandade almost. Yeah, exactly. Like a brandade because that has never been eaten here like that before. <laughs> really? It's like the, I think brandade might be the most famous salt cod dish in the world. No, nothing is like, none of that happens here. So there's, there's very little like food experimentation when it comes to um, the traditions around how the fish is, the salt fish is done. Really, anywhere you go on the island, it it's there's the same few processes that's done with it. So I think that's why I have so much like I love having fun with it. I mean, you have a world to to play with. I mean, there's an entire genre of stockfish recipes in the Caribbean. You know, curries and and with greens. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. And so and to be clear, stockfish for those listening out there, stockfish is air dried cod that has no salt in it, and it's in my. In, I'm not, I could be, I could be wrong, but I think it's almost always from Norway and it it's, is. yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, even when I was in the Faroes, the fish that stock cod was from Norway. And but it's pounded. It's it's pounded hard flat. So I mean this this stuff is only like a half a centimeter thick. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um actually I brought some home with me. Um but it's but and then it's also not it's often eaten like not cooked at all. It's just like a jerky. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I yeah, the tlink the tlinkets make um make fish jerky in Alaska. And I learned how to do that. It's it's really, really good. It's they'll take um often halibut. So it's got big, heavy flakes that you can slice and they will, you know, they, what their salt technique is incredibly high salt. So mm. it's a brine that's barely still a brine and, and they just dip the fish in it for like five minutes and they'll take it out and, and it's cold smoked until it's leathery and dried. And it's amazing. It's, and this is what they do with the, with the white fish. So is it, is it thick or is it like, it's it strips. Is. It's thin strips. Oh, wow. so like you could put it in a in a uh, you could take it with you and eat it when you're walking around. Okay, so now I want to go to the ocean, which is like two minute walk from my house, and <laughs> get ocean water and use that as my brine um, to make that. Because I also just added a smoker, a new smoker to my to my collection of you know food toys. Um, I would boil that salt water down by half because oh, I mean right. that that brine that I've. You know, if you taste it in Alaska, it's like, whoa, hey now. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, okay. Well, because they're only really dipping the pieces of fish in it for briefly. It's very different from kind of the regular, I mean, you know, American style, which is a much lighter brine refrigerated for a lot longer. I mean, I think the reason is because, you know, the, the natives up there are putting away an enormous amount of fish in a, and they only have a short time to do it before it gets rainy and crappy. So... Yeah. It's like, all right, we got to salt it now. And then that's fascinating. I'm going to yeah. do that. I'm going to try that process. That's a new, that's a, a, a new like whole journey for me. That's exciting. Yeah. Salted fish is really, is, is super cool all around because almost everybody either, uh, if you look at the world, mm -hmm. the whole world either makes it or eats it or both. And yeah. so all the hot, all the hot weather countries, they eat it because it's been a, a trade item for 500 years. Absolutely. You'll oh, see yes. it in Senegal, you'll see it in the Caribbean and, and all that kind of stuff. And so they they have their, their recipes. And then they too, actually, um, there's a great couple of Senegalese cookbooks just to mm -hmm. go far afield. And they, um, and by a chef named Pierre Tiam, and they have a lots of salted and dried fish there too. So it's not like, you know, we're talking because both of us have a connection to salt cod, but salt fish in general is kind of universal. Oh, yeah. And this is the thing, like for us, like this traditionally, yes, we kept fish, of course, for our own storage. But the reason why it was done in such production was because because of that heavy salt process, it could travel on ships to go everywhere. And it was used as trade. Like that's how molasses and rum from Jamaica came to be Newfoundland, came to be like Jamaican rum. Like that's our most famous rum in Newfoundland is, is Screech. And that was no way. It's called Screech. Yes, it's called Screech. Yep. <laughs> Someday I'm going to visit you and we're going to do a video where we're you... <laughs> drinking Screech and eating scrunchins. <laughs> oh my gosh, we are. Well, we, and we'll have to go in on the Barons hunt in Termigan too. <laughs> um, but yeah, so like that Jamaican rum, the, the you know, the um, molasses, um, flour, sugar, like all that stuff came from other places like around the world. But we, it was all a trade for salt fish. 
So it was such a crazy, you know, it was such a commodity for us. And every little corner of Newfoundland, like that's what was happening. Like the interior of Newfoundland, like 90% of Newfoundland is completely uninhabited because it's all heavy wilderness mm. because everyone, you know, settled on the shore because that was the cash crop, right? Yeah. Which yeah, I'd be, re- I'd be remiss in, in not pointing out that the reason for that triangle trade was the slave trade. Um, mm, yes. The, the reason why you see saltfish in the Caribbean so much is because it was a cheap protein to feed to slaves. That's right. So there's yep. d- definitely a dark side to all of that. There is. Yeah, I think. And, uh, and unfortunately, there's um, that dark side comes comes with a lot of uh, often leads to this these ideas of with such wealth, you know, where such wealth came from. Right. Um, yeah. So, so much, there was so much money and wealth in Newfoundland. Um, I think even ourselves here um, in our own culture, we forget. I think that we, we, you know, remember this little, this time of uh, in some places where there was, you know, this poverty and this loss of the fish and, but there was enormous wealth in Newfoundland that, that, you know, that came from the salt fish trade. And like you say, often carried a dark side to it. The salt fish that, that was here was like, we, we, you know, we say we fed the world because the stocks were, and that's why there was so much fighting over, over Newfoundland and these, and the stocks that were here. It was just such enormous amount of cod and so much money that was made on it. Um, I'm still kind of amazed that there's, that they're still there. Like mm-hmm. all you hear about is the collapse of the, of the Atlantic codfish fishery yeah um to keep it in context i mean there's you can go anywhere in newfoundland and still buy newfoundland codfish so there is still a a a a strong commercial fishery here inshore fishery and there's still um a you know us as people who live here every summer in june the codfish season opens and it will go right till um june july august right through september and you, as a resident here, you can take a pole and go out in a boat and catch five fish every day. So that that was called a food fishery. And mm-hmm. the purpose of that was as to continue as a food source. And that is still open today. And as a visitor, visitors can also come and codfish like that. You have to go out with a with a licensed person. So we there is no shortage of cod for the common person here. Like the everyday people, our freezers are full. Our sheds are full of salt fish. There's corn fish, and there's like sometimes more fish than than you know what to do with. So we don't feel it here as a person who has it as part of our everyday diet. You know, certainly the commercial fisheries um, changed forever, uh-huh. um, and how people made a living changed forever because that was the living. That was such a large part of what people made a living on here. An abundance of natural, beautiful resources that like everywhere, we could all use to pay more attention to how it, how it happens, you know, and, and how to take care of it. But that's everywhere. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very yeah. much so. Yeah. So you make your own saltfish, right? So I want to kind of close us out by like, walk mm-hmm. us through how you make your own saltfish for the winter, because this is, this will be instructive to people listening there who want to salt fish that are near them. And, and before you get started, just keep in mind, if you're listening out here in, in Texas or Florida or wherever, Lean white fish are what you want to, to do. And then if you're, if you don't live in a cool place, you're going to have to refrigerate it. Right. So for any, you know, if I were to go to the store and buy fillets, yes, I can go fish my own. Um, but if I were to go to the store and just bring home codfish fillets, I mean, I will simply fill a casserole dish 
on the bottom with, you know, an inch of salt. I will lay the fillets in. I will put skin side up or down, or does it matter? Well, unfortunately here, all of the fish now gets, the skin gets taken off. Oh, if you're buying it commercially or like in any of the supermarkets or, or even the fish shops, all the skin is removed, which I feel is such a sad loss because it's such a beautiful thing. But if you fish it yourself, the beauty is that you get to keep it with the fish with the skin on. So it, it matters not whether it's skin side down or not, or even has skin. Um, so there's like, you know, a finger width of salt on the bottom of a tray and then another and then a layer of fish and another layer of salt. And that salt can be stuff you buy at the supermarket, you know. Or it can be kosher salt that you buy for pickling. It can be any salt. And I will, I could layer this thing six, eight, 10 inches deep. And there could be 40 or 50 fillets in there. And you just like, like you say, it's kind of indestructible. So you leave it in there for a week. You leave it in there for three weeks. It really doesn't matter. You can leave it in there and store it just like that. Um, if you have the space to store it in. And then when you like that's you can take it out you can air dry it if you want whether that's in a dehydrator or um just lay it out in the sun here in newfoundland we hang it on the clothesline so when you travel around newfoundland you'll see not clothes hanging on the line lots of times but you'll see fish hanging out on the line. <laughs> why does my underwear smell like fish oh it's the same <laughs> clip same damn clip she used for the <laughs> Exactly. It's always really funny because when you go into communities, just like in the summertime, people are traveling here, their cars are all pulled over and they're out taking pictures of salt fish on the clothesline. <laughs> so many, yeah. It's so, but some, yeah, it's anyways. I have to say, I'd probably take a picture of that too. Yeah. Well, there's moments when you go, yeah, you know what? Those are the little things that make us unique. <laughs> you get it. It kind of reminds you. Yeah. You can dry it out in the sun. And like you said, I'm with you in vacuum pack it and then put it in the freezer and you can vacuum pack it and keep it in a fridge or in a freezer or in a cold climate. Like, yes, here it can get warm, but once it's vacuum packed, it just sits in the shed all like all year round here for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and once it's in my experience, once it's salted and then dried, like if you mm -hmm. keep it in the salt, it'll stay semi-moist because the, the moisture will will get into the salt. And so it'll be like a very heavy, like a, like almost like a salt mud almost. Yeah. Like a brine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like yeah. barely liquid, but it, it'll barely. keep that fish much more pliable. But mm -hmm. I find, um, there are some halophilic bacteria that really dig that environment and you can get this weird pink, uh, it's not really a mold. It's like a bacterial thing. It's not, it's not harmful, but it's really weird looking and it will probably, yeah, it'll probably freak you out. So the drying part, a looks cool because then you can take pictures of it uh, yeah. on your on your clothesline, yeah. uh, and it also makes it super indestructible. Like I, like I said, I had some striped bass uh, fillets that are salted and hard as a rock sitting in my beer fridge without vacuum pack because it's a beer fridge and who cares? Uh, right. Although I did care when I switched to um, dry aging some meat in it, I had to clean the whole thing mm. out. Oh my um, gosh, the best. that permeates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> but I mean, like it'll sit there for for years and years and years. I don't think there is a need to freeze it, to be honest. No, I don't think so. I think, um, yeah, no, you're right. I mean, there are times I'll, I will throw it in the freezer, but to be honest, you, you, you don't need to. But I do love what you're talking about and for people is that you can apply this technique as a preservation technique, like to any white, non-oily fish. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in the Pacific, I would use, uh, I would, if, you know, and I've done this, but I, I mean, I would use the, the striped bass in California, but if you're up and down the Pacific, you can, of course, use codfish. You know, if you're way up high in Canada or Alaska, you get the Pacific cod. Uh, but rockfish, rockfish work really, really well. And what about like pike? 
Pike, we don't have Pike here, here, but the mm. issue with Pike is the extra set of bones. Okay. Um, pikes are kind of a tubular fish yeah. and with an extra set of bones. And I don't, I mean, there's no reason not to, except for mm. they're a tubular fish with an extra set of bones that you're going to have to deal with. <laughs> yeah. um, big, big walleye would be perfect. Oh, um, a big smallmouth bass would be perfect. Burbit, which is a codfish. Burbit's a, it's the only freshwater codfish. Uh, are you familiar with a cusk? No. Cusk is another, uh, it's another codfish relative that lives in the bottom. I'm sure if you talk to fishermen around there, mm. I'm sure they know what they are. And they're like, hey, okay. gross. Because they're, they're gross. They look gross, uh, but they're ah. tasty. So burbit's the freshwater version of that. That would work really, really well. We're so limited. Like freshwater here, freshwater fish here is only mud trout, rainbow trout, and German brown. And we also have the landlocked salmon, which we call the winonish here, the winonish. Mm, okay. But that's it. Like we have no other white fish that that's freshwater. Well, why would you want them? You know, if you're if you live in the land of cod, I mean. Well, there you go. See, these are sensible <laughs> conversations we're having. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But that's so true. so one thing about codfish that you they don't they have scales, but they don't really have scales. They have like these mm -mm. little micro scales. So when, my advice would be. If you're going to use a thing like a bass of any kind or a rockfish or a black sea bass um, or a walleye, mm -hmm. I would scale it. I would scale it and leave the skin on because the other piece to the to having the skin on when you're salting is it prevents the filet from falling apart. And some fish will fall apart if you don't leave the skin on. Uh, yeah, we don't scale codfish. There's no yeah, yeah because they have scales, but they're microscopic, like a like a mackerel. Mackerel have really small like, scales. Like, you know, the... The, the beauty in the in the fish like in the skin nutrient wise is that so much of all those you know good oils are is that is that little fat layer you know between the fish itself the the skin and the and the meat of the fish it's just so delicious it's deliciousness that's why you leave it on <laughs> it is and then that collagen like we were talking about that dish where yes. you use it in the dish because that collagen will emulsify whatever sauce that you're doing and um so the two things that two things that emulsify like that people don't necessarily realize um, onions and garlic will help emulsify a sauce. And then that collagen in the skin and then mustard, mustard also helps emulsify things. Oh yeah. Maybe that. Okay. Yeah. That's why you see mustard in vinaigrettes a lot. I was just going to say, yeah, that's why, I mean, I never really thought of it, but that, I mean, mustard in Caesar dressings and mustard in, is it the acid in it or no? It, it's something to do with the, the, the actual mustard seed. Cause there's no, so oh. mustard seed will do it. You don't have to have prepared mustard. Cool. Oh, okay. Science. New information. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Very cool. Well, uh, so how can people find you on this series of tubes we call the internet, Lori? Oh, okay. Thank you. Um, I am on Instagram. I'm Food Culture Place. Food Lori Culture McCartney. Place. Food Culture Place, and on the uh, and yeah, foodcultureplace.ca. That's where you'll find me. That is the name of your book too. And it is available yeah. wherever fine books are sold. I bought mine on Amazon. Sorry. Uh, or, or as they say in Canada, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Time for you to come back to Canada now. It really is. Finally, finally, I've been wanting to, I actually, my, you know, that's a really good idea um, because hook, line and supper, my seafood cookbook came out in 2021 mm -hmm. during kind of the tail end of the whole pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't let me in Canada. So now that the border's back open and I have a fish book, there is no better reason to you, go to Newfoundland to, to play and have fun. You're I doing am. a trip. I'm feeling it. 
I'm feeling it too. We're going cod fishing soon. It will absolutely not be in winter. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you're coming in September. I feel it. <laughs> uh, it could be, a, it could be a July or August. That'd be awesome. At any, you know, anytime, let me know. I'll put the kettle on as we say around here. All right, Lori McCarthy. Thank you for being on the show. Thank this has you. been awesome. And, uh, and stay, stay semi-warm. Thank you. Take care. Stay in touch. Well, that is our show this week. Thank you so much for spending part of your day with us. I am your host, Hank Shaw. We are sponsored by Filson and eFish. You can always find me on Instagram. I am HuntGatherCook on Instagram. And my website is HuntGatherCook.com. That is Hunter, Angler, Gardener, Cook is the name of it. And you will find it at the URL HuntGatherCook.com. You will find lots and lots of recipes there. Have a great week. Do something fun. Pickle something, preserve something, salt something down, do something to eat something at another date, and have a lot of fun doing it. I am your host again, Hank Shaw. Take it easy, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> <laughs>